I just wanted to mention uh, briefly, just continue to, to take note of uh, the, 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 where the signs are for our parking lots. Uh, it's, it's okay. I know a lot of you guys are new and still trying to figure that out. Uh, but if you could, they're just white signs. They say church at Berg and they say park here. Uh, so and we try to be as clear as we can. So uh, just try that. If you can't find a spot, then just park on the street for now. And, uh, and, and then we'll just pray for grace from the landlords, okay? So uh, God's been really good in that. Um, I actually just, just wanted to, we're going to be in James. We're going to be in James chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can, you can flip to James. James in the back half of your New Testament. It's right after Hebrews. Hebrews, James. It's a, it's a small, short letter. You can easily pass it. Uh, and I always say, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a Bible in the back uh, or on the sides. They're our gift to you. Please take those and enjoy them. Use them. Uh, thrilled to see that you're taking those. Um, before we just roll right into the text, it's, it's Martin Luther King uh, weekend, holidays tomorrow. Actually, it almost kind of just blew right by me. These, the, the, the calendar is flying. Um, but I just wanted to briefly step into a space you may not want me to step into just really quick before we get into the text. This really doesn't directly have anything to do with it. Uh, just thought about this the other day as uh, I was thinking about Martin Luther, Martin Luther King holiday. And this, this has been also because I'm seeing God do some spectacular things among us in relation to our diversity, um, which I'm really grateful for. And if you've been coming any length of time, you know that that's been actually one of our uh, prayers uh, as a people, my personal prayer that God God would form us and make us a people, not just that look like each other, but, but rub off on each other, and rub shoulders with, with uh, other people who do not look like us, come from different backgrounds and experiences in ways that would further glorify the name of Jesus and grow us deeper in our walks with Jesus Christ. Because uh, really, um, what, what you'll see if you read the Bible at all is you'll see uh, a lot of what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for is what Jesus stood for. Uh, you can say, oh, he had sins. Yeah, everybody has sins. We're not talking about glorifying sins of any man that did any uh, faithful uh, witness in any way, but man, he stood for things that Jesus' blood came to uh, be shed for. Uh, and if you read just Revelation 5, I, I came across this text again this week, just wanted to read it to you. Uh, it's a great reminder for us, uh, and this is what the writer John says. I just wanted to uh, read it, pray together, and then move forward. He, it says this, and they sang a new song, right? This is um, the throne of Jesus, there are four living creatures screaming out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, Jesus is awesome. He's on the throne. This is the final consummation of all things. And he says, worthy are you, talking to Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now, who did he ransom? What type of people? Who are the people that Jesus ransomed with the shedding of his blood? It says, every tribe, language, and people of every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Um, I just want to remind us uh, this morning that, that ethnic diversity and is, is the heart of Jesus, not just diversity, but ethnic harmony, uh, that we would actually be a people that loves each other. We, I know it's natural to just get around each other that looks the same and operates the same, but, but God in his kindness continues to give his church as a way for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ by seeing walls of hostility torn down and even maybe exposing some areas in us that we don't know are there. So uh, let's check our hearts before we just arrogantly say, that ain't me, I don't feel that way. Uh, let's remember that, that Jesus is for this. Let's remember as we see brothers and sisters in this room that don't look like us or come from the same backgrounds as us, that we'd actually lean in for maybe dinner with them, conversations with them, and continue to walk this walk of grace-filled obedience for the joy of our souls. God, Listen, Jesus is always after your joy. He never tries to rob you of anything. So uh, he did all this, and at the end of all things, man, Jesus is going to do this anyways, and this is who we're all going to be collectively with every tribe, tongue, and nation who Jesus' blood was shed to save and sanctify. And that's really good news for those of us that are hungry hungry for that. So I just wanted to give us a moment to pray and also just to uh, maybe just give us, ask God to stretch us in this, uh, ask God to continue to deepen our desire for this, uh, and that he'd also expand our minds what the kingdom of God is meant to be. 
and look like. So uh, why don't we pray, and then we're going to dive into James chapter 1. Father, I thank you that you are a God that saves people from every last place on the globe. And God, thank you that you've even given us a place in New Jersey where we get to meet people from other places of the globe who share different backgrounds and experiences. And God, would you continue to, to, to unite your church of Jesus Christ under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Father, would you give us love and longings for one another that could not be, be explained other than something outside of us transforming our hearts. Father, would you give us great love in this place? God, would you continue to make us a people that are not the same, but the same under Jesus? Father, would you continue to show that the blood of Jesus Christ is shed so that we might know this more fully? Father, would you give us joy in unexpected places? Would you heal hearts where they need to be healed? Would you grow us in ways we need to be grown? Father, as we sit under your word, would you be faithful to that word, God? Would you give us growth and godliness and likeness, God? Would you teach us through James, who was the brother of your son, Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. James chapter 1. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, James just starts off with a brutal introduction that, that the Christian life basically uh, is the best life, but it's not the easiest life. And I love it because James is a writer. If you've read this letter at all, he doesn't wear rose-colored glasses, okay? He, he's aware of the griminess, aware of the fracture, aware of the fall, aware of our sin-stained hearts that are going to be tempted to find joy in everything outside of God and primarily in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. And so, um, listen, I want to encourage you, James, fundamentally, at the end of the day is just after your joy, and, and really the Bible's after your joy. So here's why that's really good news, is everyone who sits in this room is after joy. I mean, no one in this room is going to say, I don't want that. I ain't after joy. I'm after a miserable, begrudging, burdensome, depressed life. No one in this room is saying that. We're all saying we're after joy. And what's awesome is, James, I said last week, is going to show you that, that joy is found. God draws you into joy, first and foremost, by reconciling you to himself. This is called justification, reconciliation. This is the, the act of God through the work of Jesus Christ. He takes your sin. He pays your debt. He is your substitute in your place. He kills it all and his death gives you life. He rises, gives you his Holy Spirit so you know actually live a life tied to God, not separated from God. So uh, he says that's the way you're supposed to be wired to live. That's how I intended you to live. And now the human heart's longing to get back to the garden that we were all kicked out of in Genesis 3 is, is solved and headed back that direction through the work of Jesus Christ. And so justification, this act of him declaring you righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus, his son alone, not because your merits or your works or your prayers or your rights or your morality, your spirituality. It's solely you look at Jesus and say, his, his life's credited to me. I get his righteousness. A mind-boggling concept in the scriptures that we rejoice in as Christians. So we get this justification, but here's what's going to show you. The second piece underneath that secondarily is you grow in your joy as you grow in your obedience to this Jesus who justified you. Uh, so God is not a God who says, hey, obey me, then I'll love you. No, God pursues, God loves, God comes after you, God's gracious, God's generous, he does all those things, and then we say, and Jesus will say, now that you love me, obey me. 
Uh, and James is going to show us how this is necessary to our joy. So James chapter 1, he's, he's this guy who is Jesus' younger brother. We looked at that last week. He was a skeptic. He thought his brother was out of his mind. He tried to get him off the grid because he was claiming to be God. And then he changes after the resurrection in Jesus coming in his resurrection and seeing James to go, wow, this guy isn't crazy. He is God. And he's so transformed by the resurrection of his own brother that he goes on, Paul says, to be one of the pillars of the faith, and he goes on to ultimately be martyred for his belief in this Jesus Christ. And so um, he's writing to these people we saw last week who are being persecuted, they're running for their lives, they're grabbing their belongings, um, and he writes this seemingly strange introduction. He says, greetings, hey, take joy in your trials. Uh, and we learned last week that God is actually good in those trials. They create maturity and dependence, reveal the, the darkness of our hearts as well, all to lead us more fully into our relationships with him. Um, and this is why I, I love James, because um, he showed us that even these trials, like Christian, Christ, the Christian story flips culture on its head. Uh, the, the Christian uh, message culture, culture says, hey, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. And, and James says, no, suffering is actually opportunity. Trial is actually opportunity. We don't want to just avoid it at all costs. We actually welcome it at times because we know that what God is doing behind the scenes we know that God is for us. God wants to use trials to actually bring about value in our life. And so he's going to continue this in verse 12 where we pick up today. Uh, this is all in line with trials. This is great about teaching through a book of the Bible. We're, we're not just picking up text randomly. This is in his, he's still continuing this thought of you enduring hardship, you enduring difficulty, your dark days, your painful days, your dark nights, your hard nights. Here's what he says in verse 12. And we're going to circle back to this at the end. Uh, verse 12, blessed, that just means happy, is the man who remains remain steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, listen, James is bold. James is a straight shooter. James doesn't want to waste time playing games. He doesn't want to have to have a flimsy life. He doesn't have to be a light life, a fragile life. He wants you to have a deep well dug into Jesus Christ. You know his power, know his faithfulness, know that he's reliable, know that he's trustworthy. And he says here, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. This is last week, this steadfastness, right? We said trials create this, this inner life in you. This is Jesus Christ maturing you. You're, you're becoming more like. You're drawing the strength from Jesus Christ and growing in his image through these trials. And he says, you know, blessed are you who remain steadfast for when he has stood the test to receive the crown of life which God has promised. Listen, James wants to make sure you're running after the right thing. Like he wants to make sure your confidence is in Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure that you're holding fast to the gospel. Now, some of you guys who read the text and go, wow, that sounds so weird. This is a theme throughout the whole New Testament. I mean, you'll see continually examine yourself, man. See that you're in the faith. Hey, he tells Paul at the end of his, or Paul tells Timothy at the end of his life, hey, keep the faith. Hang in there. You've got a crown of righteousness that Jesus himself will give you. It's this motivation. It's this remembrance of the finish line, right? Galatians 6 says, hey, don't give up. Don't stop trying to reap this harvest because it will come in due time. It's like this guy at the finish line who's like minutes away who just collapses and gives up. He's going, man, you were so close. You were right there, man. Don't lose heart. You've got this crown coming. You've got this righteousness that is Jesus himself. You have a shoreline that is on the terrain. Don't give up. Don't stop persevering with the help of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ in you. See, these warnings, these exhortations are not to show us that we lose things. It's to keep us saved. It's to keep us in the faith. It's to, to show us that, man, you have this, so continue on. 
persevere. Blessed is the man who does this. James just says, I want you to run in such a way that you're grabbing hold of the crown so that when trials come, you're going, I really do love Jesus. Wow, I, really, I really am growing in dependence on him. Or, or, these really are forming in me qualities that I didn't have before. Um, the whole idea here from James is that a life with Jesus isn't peacetime, it's wartime. Uh, that's really what he's getting at here. Uh, he, he's showing us that it's this constant striving, this constant being watchful. Um, James was seeing believers, these Jewish believers who were trusting in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Uh, they were growing in laziness. They were doubting God's goodness. They were hitting times of difficulty, wanting to throw in the towel on their Christian faith. And he's going, uh, hold on a second here. Uh, some of you have been wrongly told, give your life to Jesus and your life will get better. Any, any been told that? Some of you maybe have been told, hey, give your life to Jesus and then your life will get better. And instead it got harder. Right? And he's showing, no, life is not going to get easy necessarily, but is the best life. And blessed is the man who has his eyes fixed on something that is not here. This is 2 Corinthians 4, man. Fix your mind on what is unseen. Right? Not on what is seen, man. This world is, this, I mean, this world is filled with fractures. You want to find suffering, you want to find heartache, you want to find a reason to see sin, just turn on the news, walk out the doors, right? Or look at your own heart. I mean, that will reveal right away our desperate need for a savior outside of us. And he's going, this world is fractured and folly filled with rebellion, but there is a Jesus Christ that is undoing all of that and merging us back into and weaving us back into this God who desires to make us with himself all over again for the good of his name and glory of his name and good of our souls. So he shows us here in this text, James says, blessed is the one when these trials come because these trials produce depth and maturity and you understand what's going on and you know the crown that's coming for you. I mean, you ever, you ever thought about like just meeting Jesus and just the crown of righteousness and the reality that, that, that Jesus actually will look at you? Like, have you ever, I mean, there are times where I'm literally faced in a moment of, of trial, and I'll actually put my mind at this place where I'm going, that is just, it. The, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Like, like, Jesus is not ethereal. Like, we can even start talking about these realities in church and get so used to hearing about them that, that they're not even real to us anymore. They're just kind of like this, this thought that helps us be optimistic. I'm going, no, these are, these are deep realities. Like, you actually, Christian, one day will stand before Jesus. I mean, this crown of righteousness, this eternal glory, this new Jerusalem, this new home. He's going, man, keep on being faithful because that day's coming and sooner for some of us. That's an amazing thought here. And James also reminds us that in the war there is reward. There's deep reward in waging war in the Christian life. This crown is borrowed from athletics, not royalty. There are other places where it's from the Stephanos crown, which are the leaves from the Greek Olympics, but uh, this is grabbed from um, basically uh, athletics and, and not royalty and symbolizing this persevering triumph. Now, Kristen always makes fun of me because I have a huge box uh, that's still in our garage that I have not opened since I was 18 that has all my trophies in it. And she's like, I don't understand. Why do we have this box? We just take it from place to place to place. And I was like, don't throw those out. Don't do anything with those. She's like, yeah, but you never look at them. You never put them anywhere. You never, they never remind you of commemoration or victory or triumph. And uh, what James is showing us is that when trials come, there's opportunity. Yes, there's conflict, but there is a crown of life waiting for you. It commemorates victory. It commemorates joy. It commemorates celebration. It's going to be deep, abiding celebration. Listen, friend, if you are in Christ, every last dark day you have walked in will be celebrated with more joy than you could fathom on the day that you meet your crown of righteousness.
Oh, no one will stand and say, oh, man, that wasn't worth it, or I wish I had not endured that. No, you will be so grateful. So he's saying, keep your mind there. Keep your eyes there. Now, he knows that in these dark days, as we're trying to persevere through the help of the Holy Spirit and infused by God's powers, as we're walking this life, attempting to be steadfast, asking God for help, that we're going to be tempted. Verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, when he is tempted, is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, he's just riding the coattails of last week. James is going, if you're not careful uh, during trials, you're going to be tempted to betray God's invitation to you to grow in depth and grow in dependence. Uh, You're going to be also really tempted here, and and here that word for tempted is the same word for trials, Um, but it's different based on its usage. So last week it was objective. You've got these trials coming at you, right? You're meeting trials. You're walking into difficulty. This this week it's, it's these things are coming out of you, okay? Like you're the source. You're the issue. There are these desires in you that are the subjective sense of these temptations, these longings, these desires, And he says in this, interesting, right? In trials, the first thing you'll be tempted to do is blame God. And he goes, you can't blame God because God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. He's not evil. He's totally separate from sin. This God is holy. He's he's set apart. And God doesn't tempt anyone, right? This is what he's showing us. He's showing this amazing, amazing thought of God and, and how God works and how God acts. And he goes, don't say God is tempting you. God has nothing to do with evil. God is light. He's separate from sin. Yes, God is in charge. Yes, God is totally sovereign. But there are also a number of things that deeply grieve his heart, like sin, rebellion, and folly. And he says in trials, the first thing you can be tempted to do is blame God. And he says the source are your own personal longings. It's not God doing something to you. It's you longing for these things outside of God. That's what temptation is. I mean, you're fundamentally longing for something outside of what he alone can give you. So he's revealing here in this temptations, but we got to blame somebody, right? Right? I mean, I mean this, is, this is anyone in this room can identify here. I mean, we have to blame someone. We just follow footsteps with, follow suit with our footsteps of our first parents, Adam and Eve. He comes to Adam. He says, hey, Adam. He goes, hey, it's a wife you gave me. I mean, I can't believe she made me do that. Okay, Eve, what's the issue? Ah, oh, it's a serpent. You see the serpent? Can't believe she tempted me, right? This is not a 21st century thing. This is all the way back to Genesis 3. The sin that grows and gives birth to death is ultimately that which derives from our own hearts that say we want something that God cannot give us, and we do not get it. We grow angry and resentment, and we blame God or we blame others. It's this blame game. It's never changed. Our hearts have not changed over time. I hear all the time, um, but my husband, right, my wife, she made me so angry. That's why I threw the vase. Or, or man, it was, he seduced me, she seduced me. That's why I got in this affair. I mean, do you see how they seduced me? Do you see what they did? I mean, this is all the time. I mean, I, I deserve some relief. I've had a really hard life. I've walked through this. I needed the pill. I needed the bottle. I needed a little bit of pornography. I needed more possessions. I needed some greed. I needed this. And my accountability group, they haven't called me in a week. I mean, look at them. They're just sitting alone. My phone hasn't rang. No one's texting me. We love to blame. You know what we all want? You know what all of us want if we're honest? Can anyone be honest? We all want someone to come along and go, it's, it's not your fault. 
It's not your fault. And James comes along and goes, it's your fault. <laughs> right? It's you. You have, a, you, have a, you have a sin-stained heart. You have desires in you that you can't fathom. Your heart is desperately wicked above all else. Do you think you can know your heart? You think you can understand the, the depths of depravity that's there? The ways that it seeks for things and desires things that are outside of God? This is a good word from James. Powerful word from James. And here's the thing. He says in verse 14, you're being lured away and enticed. Now, almost every commentator and theologian, everyone you read will show that this is fishing language. Like, like when you, if you fish, I don't. If you do fish, you, throw the, you don't just throw the hook out. The hook is not enticing. You throw bait on the hook to lure fish, to entice fish, to get them to take the bait. He's saying this is what temptations are. You, you see bait somewhere. It catches your eye. And you're lured by that. You're enticed by that. If you don't see the hook, you don't believe the hook's really there. It's a mirage. And ultimately, it gives birth to this death. Um, but here's the good news in this. Being tempted is opportunity for victory. It's not an indication of defeat. Right? I mean, the temptation itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted, was without sin. I mean, you are faced with temptation. He shows the temptation's opportunity to see that Jesus Christ is better in that moment. The opportunity to actually grow in a direction that's fruitful for you. Temptation is going to be laid at our feet. Those hooks are going to be dangled throughout our lives. Through our own flesh, through the enemy himself, through sin. And he's saying, be careful, don't take that bait. And he says, when you're tempted, you're being lured by your own sinful desires. And then when you take action on that, it's like the egg meeting the sperm. It fertilizes and gives birth. And then ultimately births death. Now, the, the illustration here is actually really, really graphic. Now, I don't say this to, to be insensitive. I don't say this to, I just, I think James wants us to understand the seriousness of temptation. Um, he's really giving this imagery of a stillborn. And I know some of us have walked in that. It, it's awful. It's, it's terrible. Um, but what he's showing is there, there's this moment where there, there's this temptation, there's this luring, and then there's this conception. You, you, you give into that temptation, and it, it, it gives birth, right? It conceives, and it looks like it's good. Oh, man, this is so good. This is giving me life. I mean, this is really enjoyable. I'm really glad I took that. I'm really glad I did that. And then at the end of it all, you go to realize that it gives birth to death. You're sitting there going, man, and then, and then the pain you feel in that moment, right? Like, wait a second, man, this was going so good. I mean, I thought this was a good thing for me. It looked like there was actually life coming forth. I was, I was so deceived, yet it brought forth death. And the pain going, man, I, I, I left Jesus for that? And I left Jesus Christ for that? I mean, that's, that's the imagery that he's getting at is this, this deception, this temptation that comes that, that lures you to where you think for a season, for about nine months, it's a really good thing, and then it gives birth to the most tragic thing. But do we believe that? Do we believe that that is what is at work in these temptations, in the deceit of temptation himself? And this is why he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Just stop there. Just, just hold it, just circle, box, right? Just right there. Do not be deceived. Here's what James is saying. He's going, I love you so much. You're my beloved brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. You're going to be tempted to believe in trials that God is not good, that that 
person is better or that possession is better or that sin is better, that enticement is better. You're gonna believe that that could comfort you greater than the God of the universe or that offers more love and affection than the God of the universe. You're gonna be tempted in those moments. He goes, man, please don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. He's, he's, he's crying out to them that they would not be deceived. Listen, you are going to want to believe that God is not at work when you face difficulty. You're going to be tempted to believe that God is not good, that he is not kind, that he is not gracious, that he is not for you, that he has left you and abandoned you. And and here's what's amazing. You can be a Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Jesus-following Christian and still be vulnerable to deception. Do you understand that? I mean, he's telling Christians here, he's telling all these people who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, hold on a second, you're growing in your walk with Jesus, you've hit some hard, dark days. Man, don't be deceived in these moments. Don't take the bait, don't be lured, don't be enticed. God has not left you, he is better. You can believe things that aren't true as a Christian. You can find your identity outside of Jesus as a Christian. You can start believing realities that are outside of the realm of God as a Christian. He says, don't be deceived. And guys, here's the deception. It circles back to the text right before this. We don't really believe it'll lead to death. That's the fundamental deception. The enemy says, um, if you do this, it'll make your life fun. James says, if you do that, it'll make your life death. Which do you believe? Satan never comes along and drops the hook and says, uh, you want to kill your life? No. Even a dumb fish would swim away from that. No, he's subtle. He's crafty. Our sin is subtle and crafty. It crouches at our door, the Old Testament says. It seeks to devour us. This is the death of your health, death of your joy, death of your relationships, death of your future. You're giving birth to death as we Bite the bait and the lie of temptation that we think will somehow bring us joy and not death. And this is how it plays out. Um, a little flirting with my coworker won't really lead to anything. We're just having fun. Uh, no, James says it'll lead to the death of your marriage. And I've sat down with plenty. Um, well, I mean, this little bit of alcohol ain't going to really do anything. It just helped me cope for a season. No, he want, doesn't want you to know or believe that ultimately he wants you to die from alcoholism or kill someone in a DUI. Uh, yeah, that, that pill, though, that really, no, he wants to kill your ability to even function without that. Well, just have that other possession. That's okay. That helps you feel better. Just keep buying more things. No, he wants to kill your contentment. I mean, just a little pornography. I mean, just, I'll just clickbait, look at a few things. No, he wants to totally kill your intimacy and your ability to have any sort of marriage union with one woman. He wants to kill, destroy, eradicate from your life. And he'll just dangle the bait. And we think, well, it won't really produce death. Uh, just, just gossip a little bit. Just say some things. No, he wants you to kill relationships. Well, it doesn't really matter if I say this about this person. No, he wants it to be severed. He wants you to destroy everything around you. And the deception is we don't really believe it leads to death. No, we believe that for a time, like the illustration, it feels good to us and it helps us. It's not ultimately going to kill us or kill anything. And that's the great deception that he's getting at here in this understanding. 
Listen, Satan never turned off the lights overnight. I tell this to a lot of people. You know what he does? He just slowly dims the switch over time. You know what I'm saying? You ever been somewhere where you, man, when I was able to travel to Greece and I studied in Greece and we went to Ia, this amazing island where we saw literally the most beautiful, profound sunsets in the world. And I remember sitting there and you literally watch the sun set down. And at one point it hits the, the, the shoreline and comes through this old church with three bells and the rays all shine through. And you know what was amazing? All of a sudden it was dark out. I was like, when did it get dark out? Because it just, it just slowly happened over time. No one just wakes up going, whoa, it's dark. Like, that would be really unwise of him. He just slowly dims the switch over time. Because I sit with people all the time. And you know what they're all saying? How'd I get here? How in the world did I get here? But I didn't sit out for an affair. I didn't sit out for this. I didn't sit out to be an addict. I didn't sit out for, you know what you find case in point with all of them? It all started in a season, in a situation where it was like, this ain't really a big deal. This is kind of small. I can play around with this. I can dabble in this. And all of a sudden they find themselves in a place going, it's dark out. I mean, how in the world did it get so dark? And I'm like, they just dimmed the lights on you over time. And your, your life just got darker and darker and darker to where you didn't even realize your life was getting darker and darker and darker. Praise God, we have the light of Jesus Christ that says, I will break through that darkness and revive you and resuscitate you and literally set you on a pathway to living in marvelous light. And he brings us out of darkness. You know, every week as I prepare, I think to myself, is there anything I can say? Like, is there any, anything I could give, any way I could prevent you from being deceived? That's actually a thought that comes into my mind. I mean, is there any text I can give? Is there anything I, I mean, obviously I can, I can plead, I can implore, I can, I, I, but I can't make anyone not be deceived, right? Because here's the reality, guys. Some of you won't be here next year. There are some of you who, man, you won't even be gathering with us next year. And it's not because you moved. And it's not because you found a better church. It's because something enticed you, something lured you, and you took the bait. And it'll send you on a trajectory towards death unless you repent of that and turn back to Jesus Christ who frees us from those temptations and that enslavement to sin. Listen, not one person in the history of the universe has ever made the exchange and been thankful for it. I've never met one person who said, man, I just wish I chose Jesus less. Never met that Christian. I've never met that Christian. Like, man, I wish I just had dove further into the addictions. I wish I had fallen prey to more temptations. This is Galatians 6, man. You reap what you sow, right? To the spirit you reap life. To the flesh you reap destruction. This is a, a law. You don't plant an avocado tree and get cactuses. Right, you don't plant an orange tree and get apples. This is something where if you sow to your sinful flesh, if you fall prey, if you continue to bite on these temptations, it will give birth to sin and it will ultimately conceive death. And, and here's what James shows us because some of us are going, well, I don't want to be deceived, right? Look what he says. Keep reading. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love it. James does something fascinating here. He goes, okay, so don't be deceived. I love you so much. Don't be tempted to believe the lies. Don't be tempted to be susceptible to the temptations that, that come out of your own wicked, sin-stained heart. Listen, he says, turn your eyes somewhere else. Look somewhere else. See something else. 
It's amazing here. He pushes your eyes to God. He pushes your eyes to the character and nature of the God who's a perfect father of lights. He lives in the light. There is no evil. He does not tempt you. Listen, sin, folly, rebellion, temptation is from you. That's not from God. There is goodness and forgiveness and grace and kindness and forbearance and pursuit from God who's a perfect father. He shows here. So in temptation, we're to remember God has been good and has given you good gifts. Do you have a spouse? That's from the Father of Lights. Some of you are like, I can't stand my spouse. Well, that's because he's allowing that to mature you and make you dependent on him. Um, Do you have children? That's a good gift from the Father of Lights. Do you have health? It's a good gift from him. Do you have a church family? It's a good gift from him. Do you have a friend? One friend? It's a good gift from him. Can you see? Can you taste? Can you touch? Can you hear? Can you smell? They're good gifts from him. Can you experience intimacy with him? That's a good gift from God. Do you, does your mind actually understand the work of the person of Jesus Christ on your behalf for salvation? That's his best gift. And he's a good, so listen, I, I beg you in this, and James will beg you, spend time thinking about what you have more than what you don't have. Spend more time thinking about what you've already been given than what God has not apparently given you. You'll see throughout the scriptures that a thankful heart begins to kill disappointment and dissension and struggle and discouragement. But he's saying, man, in trial, as you're tempted to be deceived, point your eyes to the God who is perfect, who has a perfect love and a perfect forgiveness. James is saying, stay focused on him. Don't simply look away from temptation. Look somewhere fruitful. Like, I, I say this all the time, man. So many of us are just sin managers, man. We're just running away from sin and temptation. We're not running towards anyone. We're not running towards Jesus Christ. By the way, that is Christianity. Christianity is not just avoiding sin and running away and hiding your eyes. It's you actually gazing at, looking at, seeing something better than all the temptations that are laid before you. And you're constantly pushing your mind there. You're constantly leaning hard into that. To that breaks the stronghold of sin and temptation in your life. You're not just trying to control the sin and stare at it. That, that grows anxiousness. That grows desire. You actually turn away from that. Look at the Jesus Christ who hung, bled, died, rose. Gifts you his Holy Spirit for that. And as you lean into him, see him, pursue him, that breaks the stronghold of the sin that entangles you. It's like this rope. If, you, if you're running away and there's a rope tied around you and there's a hundred men behind you holding you and you're running and you're running and it hurts, it starts to burn, but eventually the rope snaps and you're free. And those, those are the moments of temptation. I don't know if you've experienced them where it's so tight, it burns, and all you want to do is just stop and turn around. It's an endless pursuit, yet you push into Jesus Christ, you plead for help, and all of a sudden the rope snaps. The joy that's infused into your body, the thankfulness, the gratitude. It's this idea, this is Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's like horse blinders. You know why those horses wear blinders? Because they're a mess, they don't have them. They look at everything around them, but their eyes are fixed on the path. They have horse, you need to put your spiritual blinders on and just see him and look at him and be nourished by him, be reminded of him. That's what happens on Sunday morning. That's what happens in growth groups. That's what happens in discipleship, right? We're being reminded of what's true. Our, our blinders are being fixed again, right? 
This is like when you're driving and, and you're like so focused. The guy next to you is waving, honking his horn, flipping you off here in New Jersey, right? It's a, all that's happening. And what happens, man? You're so fixed, you don't even notice, right? You have no idea that the guy's next to you or people are around you. You're just focused at what is ahead. That's the idea here. He says, look to the Father of lights. There's no variation or change in him. Man, there, there are moments where in my own personal temptations, there is a verse that is so encouraging to me, and it's very simple. It's from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. So if, I, if I'm in my moments of just wanting to pursue something impure, I literally stop and go, man, the promise of God is the pure in heart will see God. Man, I want to see him. Man, I want to see God. Does anybody else want to see God? Like, man, I just, I want to see him for who he is. I want to see him in all his holiness and purity and, and gravity and majesty. Man, that's a promise. The pure in heart will see God. I'm telling you, that is tremendous for me in moments to want to look at things that are impure. Man, I want to see God. It's a, a promise. See, and this is really important. Um, James is not simply saying, don't do bad things. Don't be tempted to cheat, steal, cuss, swear. Now, what James is talking about, the heart of this is, the heart of God is choosing our sin over him. Like, like that's what caused grief. He's going, you've got this perfect father, heavenly lights, he never changes. And that's good news to us. In a culture where everything changes, his affection never changes, his love never changes, his pursuit never changes, his generosity towards us, his children never changes, his forgiveness never changes. His mercy never changes. He's going, no, you're choosing your sin. The saddest part is we choose those things over God, over the Father of perfect heavenly lights where there's no variation or change. James is saying the one reason you should never give in to temptation is because he's better. That's his reason. Now, some of us don't like that because you're so self-centered. You want to see something in you. No, no, no. The biggest reason not to choose your temptations is because he's better. And every time you choose him over your sin, it increases your understanding that he's better. I mean, that's what's amazing about the Christian life. I mean, if you look at people who have matured over time, those people who have not matured over time, it's the people over time continue to choose Jesus Christ. Listen, I sit down with people all the time, and it's amazing. Why can't I defeat this? Why am I where I am? Because you've never actually chosen Christ. You've never actually, in a moment of temptation, said, I'm going to choose Jesus and thrown your computer out the second floor window. You've actually never done that. You're not going to experience through osmosis and sermons once a week and one prayer a week and maybe showing up to a growth group, this change that you're looking for. This is abiding in, this is pleading, this is praying, this is walking, setting my gaze on something outside of these things. This is daily making a decision that I want Jesus, that he is better than what is laid before me on the hook. And I promise you, I've never met a man or woman who has regretted taking Jesus Christ in place of the bait on the hook. I, I, and listen, some of you guys are just going to hear this and, wow, yeah, whatever, whatever. But listen, I'm talking as practical as I can. I literally mean in temptation, you actually just stop for a moment. Think of a text, call a friend, do something that redeems what's before you. What's incredible is I've even had situations with a brother here was feeling just this incredible, awful temptation. And he wrote me and we started talking. Can you pray in this moment? God delivered him. There's so much joy for him. 
That was so encouraging. Like that, that's what I'm talking about. This striving, this being watchful. And he's going to say in a minute, you avoid deception by knowing the word of truth. Every opportunity I want to get to encourage you, read your Bible, study your Bible, memorize your Bible, get in a growth group and look at the Bible together. So you might know, so you might know when the voice of Jesus is talking because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my way. So you know, oh, that, ain't, that ain't Jesus. Mad bait, that ain't the Holy Spirit. No, that ain't from him. That's deceptive. You know, when I was 17, my family used to love uh, vacationing at Outer Banks in North Carolina. And so we would go down there every summer and uh, get a place, and, and we loved it. I was one of four, uh, two brothers and a sister. And during that summer, the student ministry I was a part of, we were going through scripture memory. And just the big idea of Psalm 119.9, right? I've been planted God's word in my heart, so I might not sin against you. And the text that he gave us was 2 Timothy 2.22. It was easy because it was 2, 2, 2, 2. Uh, and it, call, it says, flee youthful passions or flee youthful lusts and pursue holiness, faith, those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So memorize that text. I was like, wow, this is great. Just memorize the text. I thought I was just memorizing the text. Well, we get to the Outer Banks end of the summer, and one night I decide, I'm just going to walk out onto the beach by myself, hang out, have fun, just look at the stars. I'm 17. I don't know. Maybe you think that's really weird. I walk out. I'm there, and this young woman walks up to me. No one's anywhere in sight. And she asks me to sleep with her right there on the beach. And temptation is brought. And all I can think about is 2 Timothy 2.22 and how my, my youth pastor said, flee doesn't mean you consider what's before you. You don't even give it an opportunity to entice you. You run as fast as you can. So this young woman comes up to me, invites me to sleep with her. And I don't say anything. I get up and I just sprint <laughs> as fast as, and I'm running. And the whole time I'm running, I'm going, flee youthful passions, flee youthful passions. And I'm just, I mean, literally, can you imagine this chick? I mean, she's like, hey, man, let's have sex. Boom. And I'm just <laughs> bolting. And I mean, she, I mean, I would love to be in her shoes now, you know, not, not then, but now, and I mean, it, but it, what was amazing is as, as funny as that was, I'm just, I'm running and I'm just, that's all I had in my mind was, man, this text said, okay, flee, run as fast as you can, don't even give it a moment to, and I'm just running, lost my towel, parents asked me why I had my towel, I said, sorry, got ate by a shark, it's on the beach. <laughs> man, but you know what was so encouraging looking back at that, 17 years old, and listen, God redeems, God forgives, God restores, but it was a, it was a, a moment for me, a, a shaping moment where the Lord said, you can choose me right now. And, and the abiding word that is in you can actually lead you to life. And away from enticement and away from luring. And look, I don't know if I had not made that decision and I had given myself three extra seconds. I don't know that I would have been strong enough. I don't know. I may have played around, could have sit down and chatted. Let's just, no, we'll just talk. Let's just talk, sit down. I don't know what happened. And if I had given birth to that sin, I have no idea. That could have sent me on a trajectory that is nowhere near where I am today. I don't know. 
it, it could have sent me down with an insatiable desire that was premature. Song of Psalms say, don't awaken love before it should be desired. All I know is I'm grateful for those moments, right, where the bait is just set. And you go, I'm choosing Jesus Christ. Now I'm, I'm, I'm running from that. I'm not going to take the bait. There's a hook under there. And Satan wants me to breed death. He does. And listen, we've made mistakes. Now there's plenty in this room that have made mistakes. Listen, God continues to redeem and restore. So the, the opportunity is we start now in our pursuit. God forgives. God makes whole. And we continue to lean into and follow him. This is why he ends with this great verse. Verse 18. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. James says God gives good gifts. And you know, the greatest gift he gives you is Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that word first fruits, and, and, th- and this is a, a God who never changes yet changes us. That word first fruits is first and best. You see it throughout the scriptures. Uh, Proverbs will say, give your first and best to the Lord. Um, Jesus is called God's first fruits, He is God's first and God's best. And what's amazing is he gives us Jesus Christ, his first and best, so that we can become his first and best. This is mind-boggling. That, that he's a God who says, no, I want the ugly, I want the stained, I want those who are frail, I want those who are screwing up, I want those who can't quite make it on their own, I want those who can admit humbly that they got no good works to fan for themselves, they got no board to show their points. Man, they need someone to stand in their place for their sins, and I will literally make you my own kid. I will invest in you, I will care for you, I will pursue you, I will love you, I'll lavish you with grace. Ultimately, I will exalt you at the end of all times where you'll be forever with me. I mean, just try to wrap your mind mind around that. It's mind-boggling that God would even make us the first fruits through his first fruit. He's a good gift, the father of lights who does not change and changes us. And that's the good news that James is trying to get us to. So that in trial we know that God has not forgotten us. He has not changed his mind about saving you. He has not changed his mind about loving you or pursuing you. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still fighting for you. He's still your refuge. He's still your place. And here's the good news in all this. Um, Luke 4 and other places, you'll see where Jesus walked into massive temptation. Uh, Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, Satan comes, offers him a meal, offers Jesus a meal in the wilderness. Jesus withstands. Jesus chooses God's will over temptation. But here's the beautiful thing is in your temptation, we can run to Jesus, Because for the brief period of time in human history, he came fully God, fully man, and was tempted as we are yet without sin. So that he no longer is a God who stands at arm's length or far off going, man, why do you desire that? Why do you want that? That's so stupid. He doesn't say that. He's a God that says, no, I understand. I've been isolated. I just like to be hungry. I just like to be really depressed and discouraged. I know what it's like to have a faint heart. But I can relate to you. There's no other God that exists that's like that. A God that says in all of his deity that I will still humble my, myself. I don't need, he doesn't need to humble himself. That he will still leave all of glory and empty himself to the point of death on a cross and rise again showing that he can grab hold of humanity, grab hold of sons and daughters, and put them in his family based upon nothing you do because that's what he wants you to see. This making you his first fruits was of his own will. God chose you. God adopted you. It's not based upon anything that you've done. So why do you think in trial or darkness or difficulty somehow 
somehow God's going to change his mind. If you secured yourself and gave yourself salvation, well, then maybe he could. But God's the author. God's the perfecter. God's the finisher. God is the one who pursues you out of love, generosity, mercy, and grace when you didn't even want him and made you his first fruit, prized possession of his creation so that in darkness you could never say to God, you've left me. He's like, no, I started this thing. I'm sorry, who found who? He found you. You were hiding, running, rebelling in sin, folly, and shame. And he said no and grabbed you by your collar in love and grace that was scandalous and ferocious and amazing and said, get my family. Be loved by me. Be cherished by me. I'm a father of heavenly lights. I never change. I'm good to my children. Listen, this is why Jesus was born to die, right? We give birth to sin, sin brings death, yet Jesus came and died to take our sins so that his death would give us life. That's why he came. And he was fully tempted as we were tempted, so suffered as we suffered. And Hebrews tells us, and now we have a high priest who can sympathize. Listen, um, if you're here and you're trying to be moral, spiritual, religious, the answer for every one of us in this room is we need to go to this Jesus, this sympathetic high priest who was tempted as we are yet without sin. He was tempted, tested, and tried. And the question is, are you going to try to fix your life or give your life to Jesus who gives you a new life? And he readily welcomes those who come. Listen, let's circle back to verse 12. We're going to end on here. Um, verse 12 said this, blessed is the man. The word means happy. Who in this room is like, man, I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. I want to be secure. I want to James says it's through temptation. God does not tempt you. He's not the author of sin. But God's the one who allows temptations in your life to know that Jesus really is real, that God really is for you, that the Holy Spirit really is powerful, that he really does change us and continues to change those who are his. I'd say that's a real blessing in that. Let's ask God to see him in that way. Father, we need you. We need to understand what it means to have you over everything else. Father, I even pray in this moment over brothers and sisters in literally this very moment, within this last hour, they have been waging war against a specific particular enticement that is not in your goodwill, not in your good design, not in your good glory. Father, would you turn their eyes to you? Would you push their eyes to the Father of heavenly lights? Would they see your character and nature? Would they see your right demand for holiness that you could not uphold, that we could not uphold ourselves, that you gladly took and became for us? Would they see your goodness? Would they see your pursuit? Would you free us daily, hour by hour, from the entanglements of sin so that we might enjoy you more fully? Would you encourage hearts that need to be encouraged this morning? Would you confront hearts that need to be confronted this morning with the seriousness of the temptation before them? Father, would you give us life? And Father, thank you we have life in the life to come because of your first fruit, Jesus Christ, who gives us and makes us a first fruit of your creation. Father, we love you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.